Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for today's episode. Today on the show, I am going to walk you through three different vehicles. You're stuck with just me, uh, but I'm going to cover a few of the things that I've run into recently doing the whole mobile programming and diagnostic thing. Uh, First thing that we're going to cover is a Lincoln Navigator that had an air suspension system delete, and they want me to program the warning message out of the instrument cluster for the air suspension because it's gone. We'll see if we can do that, figure out some way to get that light gone. Next one up, it's actually two vehicles, but similar issue is a Ford Escape with a 1.6 liter turbo uh, that has timing issues or issues after the timing was uh, repaired or worked on on the vehicle. And then finally, we've got a 2011 GMC Yukon uh, that's having some issues with the power liftgate control module. Uh, We're not able to calibrate. We're not able to program this module. Something's going on, so we got to figure out what's happening there. All right, so we're going to start off with this Lincoln Navigator. This is a 2006 Lincoln Navigator that the shop is taking out the air suspension, the airbags, which is adjustable suspension factory from Ford or Lincoln in this case. And they're putting in the spring slash strut assemblies in place of it. So it's just converting it over to standard suspension. And they have the mechanical components and they're doing all that work. But the question to me was, hey, can you get this warning light off of the dash? You know, they can unplug the compressor. um, It could even unplug the module. But the warning message on the dash for air suspension is still going to be there. And of course, the customer is going to be paying this shop a decent amount of money uh, in order to delete this system. They want the warning message gone. So that was my goal. And the first thing I told the guy on the phone was, I think they make modules that you can buy online and wire up into the vehicle network that will send out whatever message makes the cluster happy and turns off the warning lights. I've seen these on multiple vehicles. I've seen these cause problems on vehicles before. Uh, GM specifically, I've seen them corrupt the data network, Uh, but that could be true of any aftermarket module that you're putting into a network can corrupt the data. So be cautious of that. And I always make people aware of that. Don't put in remote starts. So I tell, I seem to be telling people that all the time, just stop, just don't do it because I take so many of them out. Anyways, it is an option if they want the light out. Right. So they were looking at the cost of these things. Um, They had already bought the air suspension delete kit, which again, just mechanical components didn't come with a module. Um, they found a module for about $400 online. They also found a kit while searching that came with a module uh, that was actually uh, fairly reasonably priced. So you could go this way. Um, but of course, it's the extra effort to wire it in. You're adding in potential problems to the vehicle. Going back to what the original question was to me is, can you get this light off? You know, Are you able to go in with what programming software you have and just get this message to go away without wiring anything up into the bus. 
And I told him, I'm not sure. I haven't tried this, haven't done this before, so I'll look into it. I'll see what I can do. I didn't come up with anything immediately, um, again, because I hadn't done it. But what my thought was, um, I have a program called Forescan, and I've mentioned it before on a podcast. Um, it is a, I'll say aftermarket, <laughs> it's, it's from Russia, I believe is the origins of the software. It mirrors the Ford diagnostic interface, IDS, very closely. Um, does a lot of the same things. Um, it's actually a really, really handy tool to have. Uh, it's relatively inexpensive. I'd, I'd say it's really inexpensive for what it can do. And it doesn't do everything. It definitely has its limitations. You 100% need IDS, which is Ford's factory setup. If you're going to be doing a lot of Ford's, both programming and even some diagnostic stuff, but mainly programming you're going to need the factory setup but Forescan is a nice secondary option to have maybe ids is screwed up for one reason or another hey that happens uh it's, it seems to happen a lot with factory software lately is something is messed up at some point or another and it's nice to have that second option but there are a few things that Forescan will do um that ids won't necessarily do And one of those things is, and why I'm thinking about it here, is you can go in and you can manually edit some of the as-built data or as-built coding in modules that you may not have the option to do that within Ford's tool. Now, there are certain modules um, that you can edit the as-built data through the Ford tool, but at a certain year, they stopped offering that. And when you go into the as-built data to program a control module, and what as-built means is it's going to look at the VIN, it's going to look at the coding that came with that VIN for that module, and then it's going to enter it into that module. And again, older Fords um, would give you an option through IDS to manually enter this coding. But it seemed, I, I don't have a year range, I don't have a specific vehicle, I don't have a module, but at a certain point, IDS would just pull this information from Ford's server. So you go into as-built, say, I want to program this module as as-built. We're with as-built data. It'll pull the information from Ford's server. You never see the coding. It goes into the module and you're done. And according to Ford's server, that module's programmed to the VIN of the vehicle, right? And that's how it was set up on this one. And that's not going to help me if I try to reprogram the cluster. This isn't going to change anything. And if I didn't mention it, my goal is, is to change the instrument cluster to a version where it's not looking for the air suspension. Now, I don't even know if this exists. I don't know if it's possible. But again, here's my thought of what I'm going to try. What if I can find a Lincoln of the same year that came with standard suspension? Well, I did some searching and I wasn't able to do that. There might be one out there. I just wasn't able to quickly find one uh, through a Google search of a Lincoln Navigator in 06 that had standard suspension. Might be one. But what I was able to find fairly quickly was a Ford Expedition of the same year, which is its sister truck in the Ford line that had standard suspension, right? So I just Googled a Ford Expedition for sale. I found the VIN number for that Ford, okay? So copying, copy that VIN number from that Ford. Then what I did is I took that VIN number and I went to repairlinkshop.com. And this is an awesome site for a number of things. If you want to get parts, look up parts, it's fantastic. But 
The other thing that you can do here is put in the VIN number into repairlinkshop.com and there's a button that will pop up that says VIN attributes. I think I mentioned this on the show before, but if you're not using it for vehicle information, it is extremely handy. What that's going to show you is all of the details of the VIN number of that vehicle, like axle ratio and tire size and engine displacement and the type of transmission. And for GMs, all of the RPO codes for that vehicle, that's invaluable information. It's huge. Use it. It is fantastic. But my goal here is just to verify that this expedition has standard suspension. Okay. So I put the VIN into repairlinkshop.com. I click on VIN attributes. I do control F and I search for suspension. And right away, I think it's the second line down. It says equipped with standard suspension. Sweet. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. I want this Ford Expedition that has standard suspension, no air suspension. Now, what do I do with that? How does that help me to program the cluster in this Lincoln Navigator? Well, what I'm going to do, and this is kind of experimental at first. I don't know if this is going to work. Heck, I might even break something, but the shop was willing to be the guinea pig here because I told them, I was like, I've never tried this before. Do you want me to go ahead with it? And they're like, yeah, let's, let's try it and we'll see what happens. So I'm going to take that VIN number of that expedition and I'm going to go to motorcraftservice.com. Now, when I mentioned that if you're using IDS and it pulls as built from Ford server, what well, is getting it from a place that you can also access this as built data? Even if it, IDS is pulling it automatically, you can still access the actual coding that's going into that module. It'll be, you know, 00F03D49, whatever it is for that particular module, you can access it. And again, this is motorcraftservice.com. Enter your country and language, and then you're going to go to free resources. And I'll say this slowly in case anybody wants to write this down if you're not familiar. Free resources, quick guides. And then you're going to scroll down to module as built data. Okay. And that's what you're looking for. So motorcraftservice.com, free resources, quick guides, module as built data. You're going to put in your VIN of your vehicle. In this case, I'm putting in the expedition VIN number and it's going to pull up all the as built data. It's going to pull up the coding for the module. Okay. And this is what I'm looking for. I go down to the cluster and there are two lines of code, a total of eight digits for this thing. So I copy those, I plug into this navigator with Forescan. And this is where Forescan comes into play because if I do IDS, it's not going to let me manually enter this information into this cluster. If I were to try it with IDS, it's going to pull the as-built data from Ford server and plug it in and I'll be exactly where I started. But my goal is to trick this to think it's a cluster out of an expedition. Now, will it work? Are the clusters actually the same physical component? I didn't check this. Um, it was a, a risky move on my part because you could have the potential of breaking the module. Um, the one thing I did notice here is once I went in with Forescan and I read the as-built data that was in the module, it had the same amount of coding, right? So it just had two sections with four digits, but they were different numbers. Okay. Well, that's a good sign, at least that these clusters are similar and it's from the same year, sister truck. Again, I don't know if it'll work or not, but we're going to give it a try. So I saved the old information. 
And again, I could use Ford's website to get it if I needed it. And Forescan will actually automatically load it for you if you're connected to the internet. But I saved it with a picture just so I could compare. I type in the coding for the expedition into those two lines. I write the data and my message is gone. It was that simple. I did have the shop verify with some test drives after the fact to make sure that this light didn't come back. I also had him run through. I told him I was like, check everything to make sure that everything works properly because maybe we change something else with that coding that I'm not even aware of. Maybe there's something else on a navigator that doesn't exist on an expedition or vice versa. And now we've got some other issue. And I told him this could be the case. Yeah, we got rid of this one problem, but maybe we introduced something else. I don't know. Maybe the speedometer is off. There could be a number of things that you change there because you don't know exactly what that coding refers to. In this case, I got lucky. It worked. They didn't notice any other problems. I do recall an F-150 years ago that had the wrong as-built data in the cluster and the AC would not turn on because the cluster was the medium between the HVAC and the PCM. And according to that cluster, it wasn't equipped with AC, so it never transferred the message from the HVAC to the PCM. So the compressor never turned on. Um, That was way before I even started programming, so that one kicked my butt. But what I'm getting at there is you could definitely mess something up going this route. But in this case, for this application, I was I was successful and I was able to turn off that light. Uh, so I'll take that as a win. And I thought it was pretty interesting. So I wanted to share with everybody here in case you run into that scenario. All right. Next one up is uh, Ford Escape with a 1.6 liter turbo. This year range is 13 and 19. But both the vehicles I'm talking about today are 2013s. Um, very, very common vehicle, at least around where I'm at, and common engine, common failures too. Um, These things tend to have coolant leaking internally in the engine a lot. I know personally some people have had this issue with this uh, type of vehicle and this engine, and I I go into shops that are repairing these vehicles all the time where they're pulling cylinder heads off of these things because coolant's getting into the combustion chamber. Now, I don't do a whole lot of repair work anymore, so I can't speak firsthand for these, but I can tell you what shops have told me is that head gaskets are done a lot on these to repair this coolant leak, but it doesn't always fix the problem uh, for the leak into the combustion chamber, that there is cracking that happens in the actual engine block between the cylinder walls and the coolant chambers. And so you actually have coolant leaking into the combustion chamber right through the block. And you can put all the head gaskets on you want, and it's not going to stop that from happening. In that case, it's an engine replacement, right? You've got to replace the engine block. The whole thing's getting done. And I've seen that happen at shops too, where they put a head gasket on and now they got to go back and it needs an engine at that point. So be cautious of that. If you're getting into one of these and you think a head gasket's going to fix it just because it's cool consuming coolant or burning coolant in the combustion chamber uh, really want to look when it's apart to see if the engine block is cracked and you know alert your customer before you even take on the job and give them an estimate that hey this could result in an engine replacement anyways shops do head gaskets on these things and this is where i've come in a couple times recently and i wanted to share some stuff with you if you're not aware if you're working on these things or diagnosing these things some of the problems that you can run into 
So the first one that I got called on recently was a no start after head gasket work. So right off the bat, I'm suspicious of, did they time this thing correctly? But I'm going to come in, they're going to pay me, I'm going to do my checks, I'm going to prove it out, tell them exactly what they need to do, so on and so forth. And of course, I do ask them right away, hey, do you use the timing tools? Yes, we use the timing tools. We have the kit. Okay, cool. Well, let's verify and see what's going on. I cranked this thing over. Um, I did scan it. There wasn't any codes that stood out to me. Hey, there's a timing issue. Um, Crank it over. Audibly, this thing sounds like it has low compression across the board. Okay, it was all even, but it definitely sounded low. But again, no codes and no data PIDs that indicated timing was off during cranking. But given the circumstances, I am very suspicious of this. Now, an engine that cranks fast doesn't always mean that the timing's out. It definitely can, for sure. But do consider this, um, because I ran into this... Oh, this spring or summer, I had a Nissan where all of the cylinders were washed down. Um, strangely enough, because it ran out of gas um, and the cylinders had gotten washed down, all four of them on this little four cylinder to the point where it sounded like it was out of time. I could have sworn it was out of time. It sounded like it had little to no compression on this thing. Well, it turned out timing was fine. It was a fueling issue. So I if you hear this, even just one cylinder, you want to verify that, hey, it's not a washdown cylinder. We didn't clear all the oil off of that cylinder wall, and that's why we have no compression, which is going to happen via too much fuel in the cylinder most of the time. So let's verify that. So what I'm going to do on this thing is, first thing, I'm just going to check spark. It's an easy check to make. The thing obviously doesn't start. Maybe I have washdown cylinders. Let's just see, do I have spark on this thing? And so I test one of the coils just to see what I have as I'm cranking it. And I do have spark, but I only have one spark event. For as long as the guy cranks it for me, I get one spark event and then it stops. Nothing more. Now, I haven't personally seen this on a Ford before, but I have seen this a lot on Nissans when the timing is out. And I think some other Asian uh, models as well but nissan comes to mind when i see this when you get one spark event and then it quits the engine computer just stops attempting spark for that engine it is a very good sign that your mechanical engine timing is out okay so again given all the circumstances here audible they just did repair i've only got one spark event i'm like the timing has really got to be out on this thing but again I'm getting paid a premium rate. I'm going to provide a you know proof of what's going on and what's wrong with this engine. So I hook up my Pico, and if you're okay with piercing a wire, which I am in this case, you can make all the connections you need right on the top of the engine. There's two cam sensors on the rear of the valve cover, and the wire for the crank sensor comes over the top of the valve cover. I'll repair those holes once I'm done. I'm using a fills probe, so it's pretty small anyways. I can pierce in there. I can be hooked up for a cam and crank on one of these things. And I've done them enough so I know where the wires are. I could be hooked up within five minutes, crank this thing over. I already have a known good save to compare to because it's a very, very common engine. And I can look to see if these are in or they're out. This one was out significantly, both cams and crank nothing lined up the way it was supposed to. Okay. So this thing's out of time. Like I suspected, I show the owner, he was there. I show the owner, okay, this is what's going on with this thing. It's out of time. And he's like, how is this possible? We use the timing set. 
I was like, well, walk me through it. What, how did you do this? What did you do? And he's like, well, we put the pin in the crank. Okay, check. That's awesome. That holds the crank in position, the actual physical crankshaft. We use the tool that holds the camshaft sprockets in place, the actual phasers. Okay, cool. That's going to hold those phasers in place as you're putting the chain on. We use the tool that lines up the balancer for the crankshaft because the balancer is not keyed to the crankshaft. There is a tool to get it in the correct position because the tone wheel for the crankshaft sensor is on that balancer, but the balancer is not keyed to the crankshaft. So you could get this thing off and it will really screw with the way your engine runs if it does. And this is usually where these things go wrong is the balancer is not on right after a job. They get everything else right except for the balancer. And then it doesn't start because of the crank timing per the computer is way out to lunch when really they just don't have the balancer on. Right. But he's like, yes, I used the tool. He showed me and I, he knew that he had gotten that thing lined up, but there was one part of it that was missing. There is a bar with slots that go into the back of the camshafts. In addition to those other three components that I mentioned. So we need a pin on the crank. We need a holder for the phasers or the actuators, the sprockets. We need a tool to align the actual balancer. And we got to put this bar in the back of the crankshaft. I'm sorry, uh, camshafts. Why this is important? Because he didn't understand this. He's like, well, I had the camshafts held. The camshafts are actually not keyed to the phasers in these engines, meaning that you can hold the sprockets in place, you can get them in the right position, but you can bolt those camshafts up any which way because they're not keyed in any way to the phaser. And that's the purpose of the bar at the back of the camshafts to hold them in place. And then you can tighten everything down and get it in time. But that's a four piece timing set that ha everything has to be used in order for that engine to be timed properly. They didn't use that bar. So the actual camshafts were off, even though uh, the rest of the components were in time. Um, we, I did say, hey, there's a chance you might have bent valves here. Um, ended up that they didn't. They were able to correct the timing and get that thing going. Um, but that's that one. So you got to use the timing set and you got to use the whole timing set. You got to use all of it. There's four pieces to these engines. The next one was actually the same vehicle, 2013 Ford Escape. Not the same vehicle, but the same type of vehicle, but same engine. Shop had also done a head gasket on this vehicle. Now, this one was a little different because this one ran after they were done. And it didn't set any timing codes and it seemed to run okay um, until a P130D set, which actually puts it into a, a limited power mode every time that this code sets. But this would set consistently. And this was their issue. This is why they called me and, hey, can you figure this out? We did a head gasket on this thing and now we have this P130D that's setting and we're not sure what's going on here. We don't have any timing codes. I, again, I asked them, did you use the timing set? Yes, we've done these before. Okay. Um, I'll look into it and see what's going on. So the definition for this code is engine knock combustion performance. And it says that the knock sensor voltage exceeds maximum voltage greater than a calibrated number of times within a set period. What does that actually mean? The engine's knocking, a spark knock, picking, detonation, whatever you want to call it. The PCM is picking this up for one reason or another. Okay. So I want to verify, make sure this is a code that actually is a hard fault because I 
really trying not to do intermittent stuff, especially something like this. A code like this where it says, hey, the engine has spark knock, it's a symptom of another problem, right? It's like a lean code where a lean code is a symptom of another problem. You can't replace the the lean sensor, and I guess you could replace the knock sensor, but that's not going to fix this one, right? It's telling you that, hey, we're picking up something wrong with this engine, and now you as a technician need to go find the problem. Um, So anyways, and I'm fine with that, but I'm not going to do this if it's an intermittent problem. So what I did actually is I saved the information on the freeze frame for the code and I cleared it and I went out for a test drive to see if it would come back. Now, not only did this code come back, but I could actually hear the spark knock happening in this engine. And it would be briefly right after you accelerated the engine under any type of a load. And I found you could even do this uh, by doing a power brake in the lot so I didn't have to drive it. You just put it into gear, hold the brake and just give it a quick snap to the throttle and you can hear that engine knocking. It's brief, but it's there. It's like, okay, this is definitely what the engine computer is picking up. The knock sensors are registering that there's detonation occurring in this engine. My job is to figure out why. Now, I'll be totally honest with everybody. I searched Identifix on this one and I got to hand it to Identifix here. You know, I'll take that silver bullet when I can. They say right in Identifix, the first thing that you should do with this code is to verify engine timing with the proper tools. And that's before you do any other testing. Now they do list the TSB that goes through a whole laundry list of things that you can check from Ford, which at the end of the TSB says, if this is all good, go to check base engine timing. Okay. But the article in Identifix just says, make sure that the engine is timed properly. Okay. So again, there's no timing codes. Datapids indicate that the timing is okay. And this thing actually drives fairly decent until this code sets. And other than the spark knock, um, it's not real clear or obvious that this thing is out of time, but they did just do a head gasket. I'm suspicious of that. So once again, on this thing, I can hook up my scope real easily to the cam and crank sensors. And I'm going to verify timing. I do that. This one comes back as good. It matches my known good perfectly. So crank and the cams according to what the computer's seeing to what my scope is seeing is in time but once again to hand it to identifix the outline in this article exactly the thing that i needed to ask the customer and that's what i did was that there are multiple length pins that you can use for the crankshaft in order to hold it in place and if you use the wrong pin for the wrong engine is what it would be. So these, this kit, especially the aftermarket kits, I found out, come with multiple length pins to cover multiple Ford and Mazda engines. And if you use the incorrect pin, you can set up the timing and it's going to be close. But the actual physical crankshaft and the pistons in turn will be out of position in reference to the valves and the camshafts. Okay, and if this happens and you set everything else up right, you can use all your timing tools. Again, same thing as the other one. We're going to line up that balancer perfectly. We're going to line up those actuators, those sprockets perfectly. And in this case, they actually use the bar in the back of the camshafts and lock that up. But, 
and they used the pin for the crank, but it was the wrong one. So the crankshaft, which is not keyed to the balancer, like nothing's keyed on this engine for whatever reason. I'm not sure why engineers decided to go this way in recent years. It seems to be more and more common. Uh, Back when I was a full-time tech, it seemed to be European that would do that mostly. And now it's everything. Anyways, balancers not keyed to the crankshaft. Sprockets are not keyed to the camshaft, but you can get the crankshaft out of position here and the computer will not recognize it as far as timing being out. Now it saw the spark knock and said that code because our piston's in the wrong position, but it's not setting a timing code. So again, this is what I really need to question the shop on before I do anything else. I was thinking in hindsight, well, I could have used the WPS and got an in-cylinder and proven that my piston was out of position. But honestly, I have found asking questions gets you the answers you need a lot of the time. And in this case, it did. I went in, I asked them, hey, you guys use the timing kit. Are you sure the timing kit was right for this engine? Yes, we're sure. We do these engines all the time. Okay, can I see the timing kit? I just want to verify before I start digging into this thing really far. And the tech was there, did the work, and he showed me the kit. And of course, it was for multiple engines, multiple Ford and Mazda engines. And I asked him, which pin did you use? And he wasn't sure. He's like, well, I think it was, I'm pretty sure I used this one. I'm like, okay, well, pretty sure. Let's make sure you you actually use the right one. I showed him, I was like, this is the one for this engine. And you can look in the Ford service info and it gives you a part number and a picture. And you can match it up to the one in your kit. Say, okay, this is the right one. This is the one that I need to use for this engine that's the correct length. I was like, this is the one you got to use. And so you guys need to go back through before I do any other testing. You know, I'm going to charge you for my time today, but if I'm going to go further and use the WPS and stuff and pulling spark plugs, I'm going to charge you more to probably tell you the same thing I'm already telling you because this problem didn't exist before you guys worked on it, right? <laughs> and what, verify that you use the correct pin. And if you did, I'll come back. I'll dig into this. Well, it turns out they didn't. They got the crank set correctly and it was good to go. No more P130D. So if you run into that on a Ford Escape after some timing work's been done, make sure that the correct kit's been used. I will say this, just use a high quality timing kit. Um, If you're going to be doing a lot of these engines, get the Ford one, get a high quality one um, and make sure it's right for the engine that you're working on. All right. I'm sure everybody knows that, but just to reiterate, that's where both of these shops fell short and had to go back in and redo some of the job on these engines. All right, finally, last vehicle is 2011 GMC Yukon Denali. I was called into the shop to program a power liftgate control module, and that's all they told me. Program this module. Okay, hook up to the vehicle. I'm using TechLine Connect. I'm going in, and when you go into a module using TechLine Connect to program it, it's going to connect to the module and is going to pull the current calibration or the flash out of that module, and it'll show it to you. And it will show it to you in comparison to the calibration that it's going to put into the module after programming. Now, a lot of times on a new module, or maybe it's the wrong module in some cases, it'll say unrecognized calibration as the one that's present. And then it'll give you a number for the one that's going in there. Not in this case. In this case, when I hooked up to it, the numbers were the same. So it already had the most current calibration. My first thought was, I've seen some older vehicles, uh, Envoy Trailblazer comes to mind, where 
uh, customers would buy aftermarket Dorman liftgate modules and they would come pre-programmed. So you didn't have to do anything on SPS in order to program these modules. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe that's what the situation is here, but let me verify. We'll see if it works, right? See if we got any codes. Well, I do have a code in there. It's a B1019, which says system configuration error. Okay. So that's probably why they called me here um, after replacement of this module. What do I need to do with this code? Well, if you read the details of this code, it says that this code is present while the module is in a learn state. So to complete the initialization or the learning of the power lift gate module through the scan tool function, it'll get rid of this code. Oh, okay, cool. I'll just do that. And then I can move on with my day. I'll say, Hey, you're, you're fixed. Was this the code you were trying to get rid of? I assume it is. Okay, we're good to go now. So I go in on the scan tool side of things because this is not a programming SPS function. This is a scan tool function that you can do with an Autel or a Topdon or a Tech2 or whatever you want to use on this thing. Tried it. And as soon as I go to initialize this module for it to go through the relearn, I lose calm with the module. And I tried a couple different scan tools and it did the same thing to me which I thought was odd that I would just lose calm with the module. But I also am thinking at this point, okay, I need to stop what I'm doing because I'm pretty bad about just digging into a problem before I even ask questions, but I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to go and I'm going to ask questions through this shop. Like what's the deal here? What are we trying to correct? What was the original problem? So on and so forth. Do you want me to dig into this problem or am I just here to do my programming? So I ask him, okay, is this the issue that we're dealing with? And it sounds like it was. They tried to do this uh, initialization learning with the scan tool as well. And they had the same thing I did where they lost calm with it. But I also found out the original problem was that the power lift gate did not work. And that's why they brought it in. But they also mentioned that there were some other issues happening with the vehicle as well. But that was the main thing that they were going after. But. I also found out that they did not actually replace the power liftgate control module. They thought they did, but I was questioning them on exactly what was done and where. They replaced the motor and the latch assembly, but they assumed that was the module, and it wasn't. The module is actually behind a panel in that rear area of the trunk on the driver's side, and they didn't replace it. So the module is original, which makes sense why it had the original calibration in it that it needed. Okay. Well, do you guys want me to do the diagnosis on this, uh, figure out what's going on? Does it still need a module? Is there something else going on? And they said, yeah, why don't you dig into it and figure out what's going on? We'll pay for it. Okay, cool. So the first thing I actually did here, uh, again, I search identifix and I do this a lot. I like to see, okay, Hey, what, what's out there? What are the normal things? And I'm not going to use that as a crutch to just make a call on something, but I will use it to go test that component first. If it makes sense with my symptoms and it lines up with what's identifix. Yeah, I'm heading that direction. I'm going to test that one first. Um, you know, I'm trying to be efficient trying to make as much money as possible. If it gets me the answer quicker, awesome. It doesn't always, especially on newer vehicles and especially on some of the weird stuff that I see, but occasionally it does and it saves me some time. So I'm at least going to check it. That's what I did here. And one of the first things I saw on there was to do a capacitive uh, discharge to the, the electrical system, which means disconnect the battery, touch the terminals together for a period of time, reset everything, and then see if the module works correctly the way it's supposed to. 
And I figured, well, why not? It's easy enough to do. Let's give it a shot. And then we'll start fresh with this thing from there and see what's going on. Interestingly enough, after I do this, take those cables off, touch them together, put them back on the battery. Now I have no communication with anything on the low speed bus on this vehicle. It's like, oh, okay, sweet. (laughs) So (laughs) is this part of the original problem? Did I cause this problem? Is there something else going on on top of everything else? Uh, I'm not really sure here, but I can't communicate with anything on the low speed bus. Tried a couple different scan tools. Okay, so my low speed bus is down. Now my liftgate module is on the low speed bus, but I can't talk to anything. All right, so let's see if what's going on with the network. I take my U-scope out. I put into pin one of the DLC. Uh, there's a CAN system, which is 6 and 14. There's a low speed bus, bus, which is a LIN bus essentially on pin one and I can access it right there. It looks like garbage. This should be a zero to five volt square wave. This has that, it has a zero to five, but it also looked like it had a five to 10 square wave on top of it and mixed in with it, which made the waveform look completely erratic. And I understand why I can't talk to anything on this low speed bus now. Now why this was present now and not before, uh, granted I didn't scope it before, um, but I'm not really sure exactly what happened here, but either way, hey, I've got to track it down now. Whether it's something I caused or or the actual issue, uh, let's just pursue this and figure it out. How I'm going to tackle this is by accessing the splice pack. There are two of them on this vehicle. Uh, There's a front and a rear one because it's an SUV. There's lots of modules, even on the low speed. Front splice pack is underneath the driver's dash. You pull down the panel that's above the pedals and the splice pack is right there under the dash. You pull a comb out and it separates all the legs of the low speed network. And then you're going to use some sort of jumper system or jumper wire in order to add legs back in while you're monitoring with a scope. There's a tool from AES Wave, which is like 50 bucks, which is the U-Isolate network isolator. This thing's badass. Just get it for 50 bucks. If you do any low-speed GM stuff, this is where it's at. Um, You can just hook your scope up on one side, and then you just add in the legs one at a time until you see the network go back to your garbage signal. And that's exactly what I did. Just adding legs in, and then you use the wiring diagram to say, okay, what color made this picture look bad? That's really all you're doing. What wire color? And I did. It's the wire that goes back to the rear splice pack. Okay. So I know it's one of the legs off of the rear splice pack that's causing this issue. So I'm going to access my real rear splice pack, which is in the B pillar on the driver's side. Pull the panel off, pull the splice, the splice pack out, pull the comb out. And I do the same thing. Got my scope connected. I'm adding one leg at a time until I get my garbage waveform again. What leg is it? What color makes my picture look bad? It is the liftgate module. Back to square one, what we were dealing with before. Okay, well, at least things are kind of jiving, coming together now. I don't really understand why a battery disconnect made this worse, but I'm thinking module right now. I'm like, okay, this definitely seems like a module issue. I mean, the garbage messages on the bus doing a cap discharge, made something happen. I was losing calm with it while I was trying to initialize it. Okay, but let's do some checks. It is really important, especially if you have a corrupted network and you're suspecting a module, like disabling a module makes it better. You need to check the powers and grounds to that module. It's really important. 
Okay. And that's what I'm doing on this. I accessed the module and verified it hadn't been touched. It hadn't been replaced. And I checked powers and grounds. I've got good powers to this thing and make sure they can light up a test light with it plugged in, or you could do a headlight bulb with it unplugged, whatever. I used a test light and I back probed it plugged into the module with key on power, power, good, good ground is dim. Okay. This is what I need to figure out. And what I did to verify it at this point was I jumped a ground to that module back probed and the network came back down to where it was supposed to, or the messages became clear. I could talk to everything. Had I run an initialization at that point, it would have worked. But let's find this bad ground. That's what this is, right? This is just a poor ground or voltage drop on the ground side, the supply for ground to that module. I just need to figure out where it is. Okay, component locations based off the wiring diagram. It's G402. This is on the passenger side d pillar which is very back of the vehicle in the corner there's a stud behind the plastic covering that has a ground cable going to it and is held in place by the by a nut that nut was finger tight on this stud okay so somebody had it off at some point or another and didn't tighten it down properly now this eyelet was still making contact at times in a way, but not enough to run this module at all times. Now, did I disturb it when I did the cap discharge just by moving the vehicle? I don't know. Did that do something inside the module to make it not to corrupt the whole network? I'm not sure. But what I can surmise is when I tried to run the lift gate initialization, because I could talk to the module at first. When I tried to run it, it was pulling too much amperage through that ground and it killed the module because it's trying to move the actual motors to get that lift gate to come up and it would kill the module and you try to run the initialization. Okay, so let's tighten down this ground. Let's run the initialization. Of course, the door opens and closes and the code clears and everybody's happy. And well, except for the tech that was working on it. He's like, dude, I've been working on this for like two days. I'm like, uh, I'm trying to sympathize with the guy because I'm like, hey man, just listen, like I do this all day long. Because he was asking me, I was like, you know, what am I supposed to do on this stuff? I was like, hey, here's the, I offered him, you know, here's some training, here's some stuff that you can look into for electrical. But I do this stuff all day long. I specialize in this stuff. Like if this is a set of ball joints or an alignment or transmission or something like that, I'm going to be really slow at it because I'm not doing that stuff every single day like you are. You're going to knock that stuff out of the park. You're not seeing network issues all the time. And even people that do you're not always running into network issues that are caused by a module ground. Um, but anyways, we got a resolve for them. They can move on to the third day and keep making money. And that's what it's all about. Offering a specialized service that is really providing a convenience and a service to these shops. That's what I'm shooting for. And uh, it's working out pretty good for me so far. That's what I've got for you today on the show. Hopefully you learned something uh, from those three vehicles want to thank everybody out there for listening to the show and all the feedback that i've been getting really appreciate it keep it up but with that all the way let's get out there start fixing the world one car at a time